0: Introducing the Bundys of Chicago, a family like you've never seen. Mom. They're not the Cosby's, they're the Bundys, and they're married with children.
1: <laughs>
2: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Brick Pit, the podcast you didn't know you didn't need with uh, three guys that you didn't know you didn't need to like. Uh, Today we have with us myself, as always, I'm the dispenser of doom and despair, Josh. The Mr. Smee to my hook, Jason, is here. Okay. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> Adam is out on assignment. He is currently at the Sean Williams Scott vehicle being filmed. Dude, where is my career? So in his stead is uh the host of Nerds Without Wings, an epic podcast that you can find where all podcasts can be found.
0: Phil, how are you doing, Phil? Oh, I'm good. Thank <laughs> you for asking. And uh thank you for having me. I really appreciate that. It's uh nerds, nerds with wings, but oh. recorded in, like most of a year. So at this point, what's the difference?
2: So when you lose subscribers for being on our show, then you can take back the, you're welcome. <laughs> Thanks hang on. reader.
0: Hang, hang, Hang on, subscribers? <laughs> Fair I enough. i not doing this right.
2: <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your podcast.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, Nerds with Wings, something I started with a couple of my coworkers. We basically started, we're all retail workers at the same computer store. And it just started with us arguing about Star Wars and then our manager coming out and telling us to find somewhere off the clock to do this. And so I'm sitting there. I'm like, hey, um, I just got a new uh, wing recipe because I, I own a fryer and a bunch of other stuff. I'm like, you want to try that out and maybe attempt a podcast? And they're just like looking at me and like, yeah, sure. Why not? What could go wrong? And um, seven years and um, however many episodes later, um, Nerds with Wings, a pretty fun pop culture deep dive, nerd culture deep dive specifically, but just in general, mostly trying to have fun, but also looking at pop culture and nerd culture as sort of the glass bottom boat for society. It lets you see stuff that would otherwise be under the surface and it's a nice lens to how people think. So it's fun to use that as sort of an exploration. And yeah, it's, it's a good time. We have been on a bit of a hiatus um, for a while, but we are hoping to resume in the near future. We just have a couple things to sort out. Excellent. Do you cook all the wings? It's funny. Most of the food duty was for a number of years done by our coworker and friend, um, John. And the reason that we were on hiatus is because John, unfortunately, developed a pretty advanced Um, case of cancer where he didn't discover Mm. it until it was pretty advanced and he actually passed back in um, may so that's kind of the reason we're still on hiatus dude was an amazing cook like i learned most of what i know now from him he's a really cool guy you would have had a blast recording with him too but yeah i I hate to hear that it's
2: always terrible thing when that happens thanks man but on on the bright side man wings are wings are tough to to do right Right, I mean, it's kind of like pizza. It's like you are not going to turn down wings, but yeah. when when you get a good wing, it's what you'll fight somebody for them.
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, today we're going
2: to talk about kind of a broad er- overview of the uh, the Wild West days of early Fox and not News, <laughs> uh, the Fox <laughs> Network. Way back in the in the dark times, there were three networks: ABC, CBS, NBC. They were the powerhouses. They muscled out. There were a couple of attempts to create a fourth network. Nothing really came of it until Fox came around. It was October 19th, 1987. They had a soft start to the network where I think it was about 20, 22% of the uh, total viewing audience of the United States was covered. And they had a late night program hosted by Joan Rivers, and it did not do well. Uh, especially, this is at the time when Carson was still doing late night. So,
3: and it actually caused a rift between Carson and Rivers.
2: It did. I don't know. I think they may have like kind of patched things up late in his life, but I don't think it was ever the same because she was. I think she was poised to be like his replacement.
3: Yeah. Prior to it, that. Yeah, he had her on a lot as a uh, a guest host when he was out.
0: Mm-hmm. and she was fantastic yeah i've never heard i've never heard this that's wow
3: yeah. Yeah, it, it, he was uh pretty much upset because like i said he carson took a lot of time to help prop up up-and-coming talent yeah you know and he was wanting to groom letterman to take his spot and all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. uh after all this but you know yeah, he was kind of helped grooming her and she took this without talking to him about it and he kind of felt like it was a portrayal that she didn't come to him first
1: well
2: and Uh, carson had a had an ego so yeah, I, mean, yeah. it, 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 I think it really bruised him deep for her to to make that.
3: Yeah, to, to, to take a show that was going to compete against him without first coming to him and talking to him about it.
0: Right. You can't do what he did for as long as he did at the level that he did without getting at least a little territorial.
2: Well, let's face it, that that whole late night scene back then was a was a battle zone. <laughs> I mean, it's, so anyway, it uh, didn't have great ratings. It was April 5th the next year that they had their grand opening, as it were. And the um, first two programs on were Married with Children and the Tracy Ullman Show. Now, uh, I am not a TV expert, <laughs> but uh, I think what defines, and it's kind of nebulous if you start digging into it, what defines a network. But essentially, it's uh, over the air and free So versus cable, <clears throat> And it's different than, uh, basically, it's reach is larger than than super stations which uh fill in your neck of the woods would be wgn if i think they're Mm -hmm. still around and uh down south was tbs and they're still they cover a wide area and they they still upload satellites they're not nationwide is the best i could figure it out so the cool thing about Fox back in the day, I always felt they were willing to take risk. They were they were young network. They had absolutely nothing to lose, and they seemed to give shows a chance that honestly would not be seen on, on any other network or cable for that matter. Do you agree, disagree?
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you see that in any, especially young cable networks, all that kind of stuff. They they have to throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. Uh, you know, when you're starting at the bottom, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. So you get a lot more experimental stuff. You give your creative people a lot more room to to do what they want.
0: There's a I believe there's a really really good documentary about about that whole process called um, UHF. You should watch it sometime. <laughs> uh,
3: I think another thing if you compare like uh, if you look at NBC in the 80s because NBC was dead last starting in the mid 70s. They'd been the number one network and they were kind of bleeding money because they'd spent like close to 90 million dollars getting ready for the the 80s uh, Summer Olympics. Mm-hmm. And the coverage and all that, and use that to help boost their own programming. And then Jimmy Carter uh, boycotts the 80s Olympics because <laughs> the Soviet Union uh, invaded Afghanistan. And they can't show it now because one, it would look kind of un American to go against the president. And two, how many Americans are going to watch an Olympics without American athletes compete? So they were in the dead last. And then Tartakov comes in, and Tartakov starts just creating crazy shows and you know that's how we got 18 night rider Mm -hmm. uh misfits of science manimal like, they were just doing anything and everything. Let's not uh, bring Manimal into this.
1: <laughs>
2: Manimal didn't do anything to you. <laughs> I, I, I agree, but but still, even... And we'll get into this in a little bit. Like, with uh, uh, Married with Children, I think, is is a good example of how much further they were pushing the envelope. I mean, they, they were, oh, they yeah, were they, writing campaigns to shut it. Nobody was writing to shut down Manimal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, but... <laughs>
3: so yeah i mean fox definitely their their brand was definitely not just the the experimental but also just to kind of be the anti whatever the everyone else was doing
2: mm-hmm.
3: you know they the simpsons and married with children both were anti-cosmic you know they, yes
2: well the, the and and that wouldn't I guess we can go ahead and segue into uh, to discussion of, of Married with Children. It was originally titled not The Cosby's because they wanted to be very upfront about this not being a wholesome family, uplifting. Show it was yes. it was it was an acidic show. Even though I mean, at the end of the day, Al loved his family, but it was not. It, it
3: depends on how far into the show you're talking. No, about. Fair, fair. You're <laughs> talking about the early years,
2: yes. But it was. Uh, the same thing with The Simpsons, we could we could talk about that yeah. as well. But it also it was it was kind of like Roseanne. Like Roseanne showed a family that was was not well to do, that had money problems, that had difficulties.
3: And I would say, like the first, I think maybe two or three seasons of Roseanne was was very good television for that reason. Yes. Uh, you you don't get into to the far off stuff when Roseanne Barr becomes like super famous and is doing well, all the it, crazy episodes. And, and, and,
2: and I think that's that's a product of success that 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 is that's very cogent point is like when when we discuss the simpsons and it, and even to an extent married with children later seasons of married with children are very different than the fir- the first few seasons but the the first few seasons were it's it's funny that uh i think one of the i can't remember the producer's name but one of the one of the writer producers was was a um was a lesbian and there was there was lots of people that talked about the show being anti-women and stuff and it's kind of like an archie bunker thing i I guess the the anti-women stuff that is there I don't I think you were supposed to be laughing at it, at and, it, and yeah. not, and
3: not, and not going. Well, yes. <laughs> well, uh, Amanda Burks who played Marcy, she was yes. a lesbian. She directed she was, several episodes.
2: Yes, but there's also one one of the creators yeah. of the show uh, and, and producer. But yeah, she she most famously, I don't I don't think she would have stuck around if she really felt it was uh, anti women. You know, and and the thing is, it's like like Al, even though he had like no ma'am and stuff like that, he always got one up in the end. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Because it showed the folly of, of his thinking. So that, that's always the danger, I guess, when you are lampooning uh, maybe some but once social again, issues that, that aren't, aren't exactly.
3: But it's once again, it's like, you know, we said in the, the biopic, you know, the, the people who watch Goodfellas and say, man, it'd be great to be in the mob. <laughs> you know, they don't understand what they're actually watching.
2: Right. But I mean, I remember with Married with Children, like like my parents. Who were, I mean, fairly well to do, but they they saw more of our family in Married with Children than they did Cosby Show or Brady Bunch or, you know, all the myriad of of kind of safe sitcoms. Because yeah. there there was there was this realness, this rawness that, you know, kids are going to talk back to parents and people are going to have jobs that they don't like and not have realized their dreams or still living in the past. That's something I think more people, whereas like the Cosby show wanted to be inspired inspirational uh not the cosby show was yeah but it was it
0: was the cold water
2: on the on your your beloved dreams
0: bill thoughts part of it i think at least early on you're carving out a niche like um like we were saying a bit ago when you're carving out a niche you're still kind of testing the waters finding where you land and especially early on when and this is back when um nielsen ratings were both far more codified and far more relevant Compared Mm -hmm. to they are now because you didn't really have as many choices and people actually used their landline phones for stuff. But back then, when you're trying to carve out not only a niche, but a slice of the ratings, you're going to be a bit more experimental. You're going to push the envelope. And there's a lot of trial and error to that. This is going to be like, well, you know, how can we dial this Dial this up, dial this up, dial this up. I feel like we've gone too far. So I'm um, a foot off the gas, um, bring it back a bit. And at the same time, also, um, viewership actually corresponded with networks and including the creators of the shows. Like people put these pieces of paper in boxes that would go places. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a weird idea, but, um, but yeah, anyway, they'd correspond with the networks and you actually got a lot of well thought out feedback. Cause back then, you know, m- mailing a letter, you had to write it down by hand. You had to put a stamp on it. You had to address it and you had to send it somewhere. You're, if you're going to put that much time and effort into it, you're going to kind of think about what you're going to say. Yeah.
2: You know, that's, that's an interesting point because in, and I don't think anyone will disagree that in, in today's society that we kind of just pop off at each other over every little thing, whether it's through social media, you know, Twitter or YouTube reaction videos and stuff. But that's, we don't even capitalize or spell things correctly Mm -hmm. now. And you're going to send a letter to a network, like even a network that you thought was trash. You're like, well, I better spell check this. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. So, so I guess the voices that were, were loudest were very engaged and passion, either for or against, but cogent. So if you want to write us and tell us how bad. We- <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the show, I'll give Jason's home address. Wow, I didn't think about that
0: that deeply, but that's a that's a very good point. How do you oh, think that? How uh, do half you- of the thoughts. Okay. Um, I, it, my my brain. I kind of went into squirrel mode for a second. I'm sorry. Um, because they were getting that direct interaction, like with a with a viewership, because there was that sort of back and forth dialogue, and they actually went to that kind of trouble, and they would write back. Sometimes you actually did have um, objective. Information coming in is what do people like to see, and I think that that had a lot to do with how the formulas shifted and stuff over the course of those shows. Sorry, what were you gonna ask me? Oh, that's that's a great point. So uh, obviously you were you were jazzed to to do
2: this show with us for whatever reason. <laughs> I assume that that you
0: you and I'm you lonely.
2: <laughs> you like the early fox. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Is that something, something you liked as a child? or <laughs> As a kid, it's funny. I was actually kind of a sheltered kid. My father was a minister. And oh. um, so what I was actually able to watch, weirdly enough, they kind of policed a little bit. But with like action shows and with anything that they considered smart people shows. Um, I I pretty much had free reign. So like, yeah, other kids would be other kids would be watching the Simpsons. Mm -hmm. Um, I would be watching and I know this isn't Fox, but I'd be watching like MacGyver and syndication and stuff like that. Yeah. A lot of those other shows and my interaction with TV for whatever reason, my parents didn't like a lot of the comedies as much, probably because they showed real people doing real things. I don't know. I, to this day, I don't know. I've asked my mom a couple of times and it was a different era especially mm-hmm. for like people in sort of that sort of evangelical space mm-hmm. in the eighties, nineties. And there were a lot of people nitpicking what you could and couldn't watch, but there were a lot of shows on early Fox that actually either flew under the radar or my parents just needed to put me in front of a screen to um, get me out of their hair. Right. There was no, which no is, iPad, which yeah. is what I remind my mother of every time she's like, well, why don't you just call me? Why do you have to text me? Cause you <laughs> put me in front of the screen mother. And I never left.
2: Well, let's let's kind of get into just some of the early shows and what we thought was uh, what the legacy of them is, or what was edgy at the time that is now blasé. I think a lot of these shows, uh, if they showed today, would not not even register uh, as being controversial. <laughs> Married with Children is like compared to to Modern Family. You know, <laughs> I mean, is, honestly, is is there much difference? Yeah, I mean. <laughs>
3: Marriage with children at the time was definitely considered uh, at the time. Right. Yeah. At the time was, was considered, you know, trash television, which yes, mm-hmm. it, it is. And it's beautiful because Tom- that's deliberately what it is. It's not trying to, to be, like you said, it's not trying to be the Cosby show. It's not trying to be uplifting and all that. Mm-hmm. It's just trying to be funny and it's trying to poke fun at, everything like there's there's just a lot of picking up a handful of gravel and throwing it (laughs) at at everything you know and it's it it, it's making fun of that american family tradition you know that everyone you know the american family is supposed to be sacred and all that kind of stuff and it's just cutting the legs right out from under
2: right well and, and stephen king he talks about his his mom um would talk about Good books and books that were trash, and but she considered things like Dracula, Frankenstein. She says, "Well, that's trash, but that's good trash." Uh, I would, I would say that that's that's where a lot of these early um, Fox shows land.
3: So, Married with Children, especially, plugged into the whole the Jerry Springer mindset. Like they they really did pull into that, and they made fun of it too at the same mm-hmm. time. And uh, that's the the great thing about it. Like, no one was safe, not even themselves. Right. Uh, There's
0: stuff that's like, there's stuff that's deliberately transgressive, but there's, at least at the time, there wasn't a lot of stuff that was both like deliberately transgressive and self-aware. Right.
2: And and self-awareness is, is, it's almost like that was a theme in almost nearly all of these Fox shows that they were, they were. They were very aware of what they were. And it's it's almost like it was the dawn of postmodernism. So um before we get into to my holy grail of early, early Fox, why don't Jason, why don't you throw out some of your your thoughts?
3: Well, I want to get into first and foremost the animation on Fox. And I'm not just talking about the Simpsons. Mm-hmm. Uh I mean they're their kids lineup, Fox Kids, had some very groundbreaking things. You know, they had the the Batman animated series. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it is such just a fantastically well-made show. But at the time, you know, in the 80s, there was the whole late 70s, early 80s, or into the 80s, there was the whole concern from parents groups about violence in cartoons. Mm-hmm. And so that's why on G.I. Joe and Transformers, all that, they shoot lasers that hit nothing. You know, mm-hmm. it's just little yeah. beams of blue and red light i thought and that
2: was a that, the subtext of that is that the government is ineffective against protecting mm-hmm. us from terrorism
1: yes
3: gi joe back oh, in the 80s God. when terrorism was things of uh cartoons kids uh, cartoons. <laughs> well but, uh, cobra,
2: cobra was a terrorist organization that's what i'm saying
3: yes yeah. <laughs> no but you know the rambo cartoon <laughs>
2: We actually, now that you mentioned that, we need to do a podcast of like adult 80s films that were marketed directly towards kids that were (laughs) supposed to not want because everybody had a RoboCop toy and every kid knew about Rambo. It's like they were they were all super rated R movies.
1: And
3: and let's not get into the Toxic Adventure cartoon either. No. (laughs) Or the Police Academy cartoon. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but anyway, uh, man,
0: Batman, everything got an adaptation back then, <laughs> yes.
3: Uh, but Batman they, they shot actual gun with Mm -hmm. bullets and you know it it was a swap back to the way it used to be you know with the old johnny quest and stuff like that and it really did kind of heighten the danger and just the the backgrounds were done on black paper to give it a darker look Mm -hmm. and they had the whole art deco look and everything and it made it its own world and they really did do a lot of things for the villains, the, the rogues gallery, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, they they had to start off using uh, Burton's version of the Penguin because they were going off the success of, of the movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they eventually got him back to the comic book version. But Mr. Freeze, he was a nothing villain. They gave him a really good origin story that made him sympathetic mm-hmm. Uh and then, of course, they created Harley Quinn,
2: mm-hmm. who, who I mean, yeah. entrenched in Batmania lore.
3: <laughs> yes, yeah, so yeah. who's, you know, the the big cosplay at cons for the past 20 years.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And the amazing thing about it, you know, because it started off on the TV show and not the comic, whereas, you know, all the variations of the comic book characters kind of come from the original design of the character. Whereas with Harley Quinn, they have keep changing the design. But it's the voice they try to keep the same.
2: That, that, that's an interesting point. And the genesis being from the from the animated show, where, where the voice is emotional touchstone.
3: Yeah. Um, uh, it, it's very distinctive too. You know, you can put Harley Quinn in any costume you want, but you use that voice or a version of that voice. You know who the character is. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and, and like I said, it, it kicked off the uh, the Warner Brothers the or the DC animated universe, which kept going for over a decade into the uh, aughts, uh,
2: finishing with Justice League Unlimited and and far more cohesive and successful than the movies. <laughs> I mean, successful as far as as create created content, not, yeah. not monet, obviously not monetarily. But, you know, lots of lots of garbage has made lots of money, <laughs> Yeah, but it, it, it's a it's a it's a
3: milestone, though, because, like I you know, you've got Harley Quinn, everybody identifies her by the voice. But, you know, Kevin Conroy's version of Batman is iconic. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, Mark Hamill as the Joker is iconic. And it I would put it up there against uh Nicholson's performance, the 89 film, as probably being the
2: most famous. Version. Yeah. So it, and I would say that it's probably a better version of the Joker because the, the Nicholson version, it, it sounds stupid to say about the Joker, but it was a it was touch broad. You know, <laughs> He he put a, it was a little too much.
3: Well, I think it was especially considering how restrained his Jack Napier performance is
2: before yeah. that. It's yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. But but I, I I think Hamill understood the character on another level. Like he he brought well, there's a lot of nuance to it. Yeah, yeah. But he it. you know, and, and to be fair, uh, the cartoon. Lasted several seasons, so he had he had more time. Nicholson had an hour and a half.
3: And no that, but he also bridged over to the you know the other shows in the uh the DC animated universe. But it, it's got a great voice cast though, because like I said, you know, Kevin Conroy and, and Mark and we've already mentioned, but you have so many people coming in and doing guest voice. You got David Warner as Ross Agul. That's I mean,
0: that's heavy. Yeah, that's
3: yes. Yeah. <laughs>
1: that's
0: that's a get for sure. Yeah.
3: And uh, I mean, uh, adrian barbeau as Catwoman. uh yeah. Y- yeah you you've got all these really kind of heavy hitters coming in and even just maybe for one episode or so
2: well what's interesting is that they they took it it took the show seriously enough and i think that's um something you don't see a lot in and, and that batman show it wasn't the first to do it but it was the, the first in in the past 30 years or so that took the subject matter and took it serious enough to do things like let's get adrian barbeau let's get mark hamill to do these parts so let's give a backstory to the to these B player rogues gallery guys give the and give the whole yeah, the kinda... people
3: who were making it were fans of Batman Bruce Jim yes. was a fan of Batman and you know they just come in and they're they're making the show they always want mm-hmm. I think is the is the main thing about it. But uh and I it's it's one of those great what ifs I'm I'm glad that it was Mark Hamill, but they originally hired Tim Curry wow. as the Jeez. Joker. And <laughs> oh And and I think they decided yeah, they decided to go with Hamill because they wanted children to sleep. Exactly. Yes, he was well. They they thought Curry was way
2: they didn't didn't want kids running out of the streets and screaming. My God, he's coming.
0: <laughs> you know what I think is wild, though? Like, looking at in retrospect now, when you consider, you know, Burton and the animated series on Fox really kind of helped revive mainstream interest in comics at, the, at that point. Um, coming out of the 80s, going into the 90s, when you, you sort of started going into, like, that sort of dark age stylistically before that you started reviving interest in the source material. Now we can't, it's hard to imagine a time before comic book adaptations. Mm -hmm. What I think is wild that you would never see nowadays in terms of licensing is that you had these DC animated series. You had Batman, the animated series was a Fox property at the same time as the X-Men cartoon.
1: Yes,
3: yes. X- Which is Men, insane. I, 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 X-Men is another, I think, very important cartoon from that era because of the fact that it it did what the X-Men comics were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And it, it was bringing back those social issues because they did a lot of episodes on actual social issues. They did, you know, some on like AIDS and stuff oh, yeah. like that. Of course, it was all masked by, you know, uh, mutant powers and Genetically engineered viruses, or whatever, right. or aliens—you know—but it it still, you know, it, it did what the original comic was supposed to. Do. And it's one of those that, uh, you know, fan of. And would you hear that entrance
2: music, that uh-huh. that opening <laughs> intro, which <laughs> yeah. which Brian Singer used for the live action? Yeah, because it was it was so or, or a variation. There yeah,
3: it, it it was so iconic. Yes, everyone because, recognized because- it. Because Let's not forget the arcade is, cabinet. Yes, yeah.
2: yeah, that that is the X Men music, and also oh, yeah. the, there was real skin in the game in that cartoon, which is. Yeah, like I, the, the they ju- killed a character in the opening episode. Yep. Yep. They made a character to kill him, but, but just but to say, hey, it's just yeah. kind of party. Killing somebody in a cartoon was yeah, in the was 80s, unheard yeah. of. Right? <laughs> you had you had to go to the, you had to go to the movie theater to see that. See how yeah. first die died. They didn't die on the TV. TV oh yeah,
3: die. even on the 18th they just flipped a car. <laughs> <laughs> with, with yeah. They of just, bullets
2: coming they, out of. They
0: shot a watermelon cannon.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think another thing that's funny about the x-men adaptation um we were talking about fox being self-aware and not being afraid to self-deprecate i mean there were the i think the two at least i can think of episodes about the mojoverse um just sending up the entire idea of television and mass media And Mm -hmm. that's them like looking in the mirror and not flinching in a kid's cartoon. But I, I also think it's representative of a lot of early Fox not being afraid to sort of wink at the camera. When it comes mm-hmm. to that,
2: and and speaking of which, like I think the other uh, the cap off the the animated side of things, uh, the, the tick is to this day I can't believe that that was on Saturday. That was a Saturday morning cartoon. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I,
1: that,
3: I remember distinctly. It's one of the first season episodes, Tick versus Proto Clown. Mm. <laughs> where, where he getting knocked into space by this this Hulk like clown, and he goes on a uh, a journey of self discovery within his own mind. <laughs> and at one point, he like falls into this pit, and he's wrestling the snake. And in the middle of the fight, the snake just stops and looks at him and goes, "You don't date much, do you?" <laughs> well, <laughs> that's not a joke for a kid shit right well, no.
2: <laughs> Ben Edlund to me is like he's like the anti Garth Ennis like he he, he deconstructs Superheroes, but he does it in a light-hearted, fun way, not in yeah. a like nihilistic "put a bullet your brain" way <laughs>
3: yeah. that Ennis gets yeah. into. And, and the tick, the the cartoon, they did pull back on it because the, the comic book was a lot darker. It was, but the that it know, was just
2: as it was just as absurd, absurd. Yeah,
3: and it was it like was, the man-eating cow in the cartoon. Yeah. It's just this cow that licks people's hand because right. you can't have a cow eating a person on a Saturday morning cartoon. But it
2: it was a really smart show. One of the one of the funniest thing when he's there's an episode where he's like training other uh these would-be superheroes. And I don't know there there's there's basically this old woman that likes squirrels. I don't know if when squirrel girl became a thing, but or if this old woman
3: dated. Yeah.
2: Okay. It's pretty funny, but there's this guy and he is wearing uh an orangutan suit. And he has he's like an older guy and he has these baby dolls, and his name is um baby boom orangutan. <laughs> 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 it's such that's such just a chock full, hilarious pun like that uh, that a kid isn't going to get. And his his you- his catchphrase was, "It's okay to play with dolls," and he'd throw these baby <laughs> boomerangs at you. Well, it's just uh, their, their Aquaman uh, fill in character, a uh, sea urchin.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it, it's Dustin Hoffman's Rain Man performance. <laughs> You know, (laughs) I can't unhear that now. That's exactly what it was.
2: And Uh, (laughs) that that same episode, they had uh, Sarcastro. It was like, (laughs) he was just, it was just Fidel Castro. And he had the, his power was the biting wit of sarcasm. (laughs) 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 A nine-year-old is going to watch that and be like, ah, that's.
3: (laughs) It it was one of those shows that it was, it was its own thing that was nothing else like it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and Ben actually said, you know, they, it, it was about a year late coming to a screen because he was looking at it. He had changed it. This is uh, the, the way that the drawings were looking. He says, no, this would be, this will fail. If it goes on broadcast, looking like this He said, So we changed it from bad nineties uh, animation to bad seventies, superhero animation. Mm. <laughs> and it worked. But uh, one of the guys who worked on it uh, was Christopher McCulloch, who uh, most adult swim fans, will know by a pseudonym Jackson Public hmm. the creator of the Venture Brothers well there you go yes which is very much spiritually keeping that line and Ben Edlin even worked on it I know they're saying that it was a first season episode that he pitched but didn't wind up writing because he was doing something else uh, they didn't say which one it was but I guarantee you, it's the yard sale episode because oh, that—that sure. that is a Ben Edlin thing just taking that mm-hmm. minutia and- <laughs> And putting it into a superhero or you know super scientist motif, right?
2: Well, it's funny that that years later, I, th- I think well, it was it was post two thousand that the um, Patrick Walberton live yeah, action tick but- came out, produced by Barry Sonnenfeld, and just yeah. I thought again very cutting edge, like like this kind of deconstruction of of superheroes was not like it that was a very very niche thing even within like yeah. comic book people. And to have that on network television before the MCU, before all these big DC movies, that's pretty bold. There there, there was probably no other superhero show on TV. And there'd probably not even been anything like that since Greatest American Hero that was kind of taking the wind out of the sails of, of the superhero genre. And, and yet here it was. But obviously people did not like it because it was canceled. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they,
3: of course, the, the Amazon series uh, a couple of years back, which was great. And I think people liked it, but Amazon didn't do it more than two seasons. But. Mm-hmm. Uh, It's a fantastic property. I really, really enjoyed that show as a kid. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those, like I said, it wasn't a kid show. So if you watch it again when you're older, you start catching more things in there. Uh, But uh, once again, they were doing a lot of that. uh, And the Fox kids like eek the cat. Mm -hmm. Like they were doing Easy Rider references on (laughs) it. Yep. 90s kids cartoon yeah uh and, and i love the fact you know savage steve holland i love his his films as well uh, oh yeah crazy summer and better off dead better off dead yes john q it's it, it amazes me that they actually they gave him a cartoon on, <laughs> yeah well no it's just that that they put on the air those things because it it's very clearly yes it's 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 a kid's cartoon but there's this subversive underbelly to it that you know
2: well in and, and there there they'd come a time where like animation became sanitized and it was that was never never the intent because i mean like the looney tunes were subversive mm-hmm. um and then Definitely. somehow somehow they somehow they weren't they, they were sanitized and, and the cartoons were you know i mean heck the the flintstones had had were a parody you know they were kind of a they, they were the honey yeah. yeah
0: because every subsequent generation is hell bent on subverting the status quo until they themselves become the status quo and then nope nope hit the brakes
2: yep yeah. Well, what happens but, uh, now that everything is everything is subversion and
0: <laughs> yeah, people it's are totally going to start making These kids movies get off again. my dang lawn. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I will
3: say uh, as well, like, you know, going into the Loon Tunes because they they also had Tiny Tune. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Which for a lot of people, my age was our introduction to They Might Be
2: Giants. I knew you were going to say.
0: That. Oh yeah. But yes,
2: that was a that was an excellent uh, episode.
3: Yeah. Well, they did an MTV type episode, mm-hmm. and they did little animated videos and they had was two, basically they flood. might be giants <laughs> yeah they had two they might be giants uh bits on there which shows how big of a fan they are but I do remember there was this after they introduced the second one like Buster Bunny was like uh you know they might be giants who are these guys
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs>
3: But at the, I'm pretty sure sales of Flood just went through the roof after that episode aired.
2: Maybe the two Johns, because I know they listen to the podcast. They'll weigh in <laughs> on Anchor.fm. Leave us a voicemail message. <laughs> 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 one day, one day, all these people are going to listen to these podcasts and sue us. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's when the money starts coming in <laughs> actually speaking of which speaking of voicemail messages from anchor fm why don't we take a little break and uh and address the voicemail jason what do you think about that oh yes uh from
3: our uh number one fan you're still falling behind there kevin
2: uh mr <laughs> pitman yep or or he may be mr Chowman. Chowman, he's a man, I... he's a man of many names but one voice so uh phil uh Every once in a while, actually once before, <laughs> we <laughs> left the voicemail on Anchor.fm, which is super cool because we can do things like this where we interact with our audience of one. And uh, I believe he has a question for us, so I want to play this and uh, then we can uh, we can answer.
1: What's
3: up, guys? It's Mr. Shumet again. <laughs> All right, I got
1: a question for you. What is your favorite movie misquote and you can't use luke i'm your father or be me up scotty so there you go got something to think about enjoy
2: all right so uh phil you are our special guest yay (laughs) (laughs) what is your favorite misquote from Mr.
0: Um, had to go through a couple and obviously had two big ones taken right out from under me. <laughs> but um, since I had time to think about it, Hannibal actually tells her good evening, Clarice, instead of hello, Clarice, which by this point, it's been through so many homages and mutations and permutations that people like legitimately don't know anymore. But it's good evening, Clarice, which um, still is it's it's. it's in a way, kind of more creepy. Um, shout out to Sir Anthony Hopkins, but yeah, it's probably I would agree. my
2: favorite. I, I think it's you make an interesting point. I think a lot of these misnomers come from kind of the 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 shifting into pop culture because people often quote the comedians making fun of the original versus mm-hmm. the original.
3: Um, yeah, I think probably one of the, the best things I heard is no one does a, a William Shatner impersonation. Everyone does a Kevin Pollack doing.
2: William yeah, Shatner.
3: <laughs> that yes.
2: is exactly right. Um, so, Jason, what about you? What's your favorite misquote?
3: Uh, I'm going to go old school. Mm-hmm. And in Casablanca, you know, a lot of people say, play it again, Sam. Mm-hmm. Never said mm-hmm. uh, the closey. It gets to that as Ilsa says, "Play it, Sam. Yes, play as time goes by, but never play it again, Sam."
2: And I uh, and I think that that came from like the Looney Tunes.
3: Yeah, that's what I was about to say. You know, if because uh, we watched all the old uh, Looney Tunes, and yes, that that definitely comes from those cartoons uh, more than it does the actual movie itself. So my. Th-
2: favorite is it's you're going to need a bigger boat not Mm -hmm. we're going to need a bigger boat Um, though I believe if I'm not mistaken Randall in Clerks says we're going to need a bigger boat with his salsa chip bit So, so we it's can blame telephone. we can blame Kevin Smith for that. Kevin, I know you don't listen to this podcast.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Actually, of all the people we've mentioned, he's the most likely
0: to he's listen got, to the podcast. He's got a tear in his eye right now. That's a valid <laughs> point. <laughs> <You>
2: so, <laughs> I've listened to every episode. No, he has no, a supporting pod, you guys. He has a podcast dedicated to our podcast where he tells like long-winded stories about <laughs> listening to our podcast while smoking weed. (laughs)
3: all right right, before we jump back in before we jump back (laughs) into it since we've we've had our little break here Mm -hmm. uh something we kind of skipped at the beginning with phil
2: yes oh the question of questions phil so you know our podcast you know what the brick pit is Mm -hmm. what is your biggest brick pit
0: that was a tough one initially my initial thought was oh well you know in the final battle in endgame you see in the background you see ant-man walking around as giant man despite three or four shots ago he came back down to find the van and get it working again but that didn't break immersion for me one because i'm that much of an mcu fanboy and Mm -hmm. two Because, like, there was so much awesome stuff going on there. It's an editing mistake. When you know this much about Mm -hmm. how the sausage is made, you can forgive editing mistakes like that. I think what is immersion breaking for me, probably because I'm not as attached, is like, and this happens more than once in the TOS cast movies. I can't decide which is the most egregious infraction committed, but when Kirk's like big moment of genius in a spaceship to spaceship battle is you're going to exploit the third dimension <laughs> when you're freaking in space, <laughs> when you're in space. And really there are, are no directions and so simultaneously all directions without a fixed point of reference, but It's safe to say you probably wouldn't graduate Starfleet Academy. You probably wouldn't get into your second year of Starfleet Academy and like helmsman classes or whatever without realizing, oh, hey, there are three dimensions. We should be exploiting them regularly. I mean, I know space is an ocean is a trope unto itself, but Mm -hmm. that took me out of, I mean... Jason can tell you that I'm too much of a TNG fanboy. Um, he kind of converted me to a DS9 fanboy, but right. I'm too much of a <laughs> TNG fanboy. Um That's
3: two of you in this podcast. Yay!
0: <laughs> um, to be able to... And it's a generational thing, too. I was never really able to get that into TOS. I have tremendous respect for the actors and their performances, but I was never able to get attached enough to TOS that that didn't pull me out of the whole thing. I know it might not be as blatant as a lot of other examples you mm-hmm. may have used, but for me that was what just booted me right out of the out of the narrative. Sure.
2: And and people have pointed out before like how come and it's pretty much in every space everyone meets every other ship at the correct orientation to yeah. themselves. Nobody <laughs> nobody comes in like upside down like in relative to the ship so let's talk about a couple more of the early shows and, and then kind of get into the legacy of how fox affected uh the television landscape and 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 what the future holds. It's future cast uh, <laughs> so one of my favorite shows I, I was too young to appreciate it fully but I, but i i was a weird kid I absolutely loved the Gary Shanley show, and and at the, I think that that show was easily twenty years ahead of its time. It was it was very postmodern and meta and self-referential and and I'd never in my life seen anything like it. You can I think YouTube has a couple of full episodes, and it's like they constantly uh, acknowledge the audience. They acknowledge that they're on a television show. When they travel to uh, to someone else's house, they get in a little golf cart and drive to the next set. You know. <laughs> like just like drive in front of the audience. It's it's absolutely like amazing and totally like even today, you know, it's like we, we watch stuff like The Office and stuff and in these kind of single camera comedies where like you know they wink and nod, nod at the at the at the cameraman, and there's kind of this whole meta of like, oh, they're filming a documentary, but it's like Gary Chandling was doing that in the <laughs> in the late 80s, early 90s. My favorite bit is like Jeff Goldblum was was played. Gary Shandling's best friend, but he was just Jeff Goldblum, and uh, and this kid, like the whole plot revolved around Gary promising this kid that Jeff Goldblum would come to his birthday party, so of course. Jeff Goldblum's caught up or whatever at the airport he doesn't come he finally comes to the kid's house it's like midnight they wake the kid up kid says oh wow it's Jeff Goldblum I've seen all your mint movies I even watched half of Transylvania 6 5, and like, you know, this was pretty that was still a pretty fresh wound for Jeff Goldblum for him to take that hit for for a, a gag that probably half the people only laughed at. I thought it was, was pretty stellar.
3: Mm-hmm. I think one of the great things is uh, like the, the whole show. It's scary Shandling show, which is the actual title. Mm. He was really a fan, Josh, uh, just <laughs> the whole pulling back the curtain is just the theme song. Set you up for it because it's just this guy talking about Gary called me up, told me to write a theme song. (laughs) This is the theme song to the Gary Shanling show. (laughs) That's half the theme song. It's just him telling you it's the theme song for the show. Beautiful.
2: Yeah. So, uh, and obviously, Gary Shanling took that concept in, in, honed it down to make the uh, the Larry Sanders show, which is almost like the next iteration of that idea. He pulled from a
3: lot of what he did because he, in the 70s, was a writer for shows like Sanford and Son and Welcome Back, Cotter
0: Mm -hmm. and
3: stuff like that. And so you can kind of see that in it's Gary Shanling's show. He's making fun of all that stuff he had to do for those shows, because this is the, the seventies sitcom formula and he just right. totally breaks it apart. Uh, I think probably the, the thing that made the most sense to me when I found it out, it was, uh, in, uh, Seinfeld's comedians and cars getting coffee. He did the episode with Gary Shandling mm-hmm. and you find out like Gary Shandling, uh, was a, uh, in Arizona state, I think he was uh, an engineering degree major. And like mm-hmm. that makes sense. Now, you know, if you, you look at it from at comedy from like that engineering standpoint that makes Gary Shandling's comedy makes sense because it's about the structural
2: right that's that's who you want doing deconstruction is an engineer because they know how the parts fit together yeah um so uh, I'll briefly mention two other like what I think were just absolutely cutting-edge shows um that that Fox to this day I can't believe we're on network television uh the first is get a life by chris elliott who (laughs) like portrayed a unlikable neck beard before unlikable neck beards were a thing (laughs) (laughs) i mean he was a 30 year old that lived at home and had a paper route and was completely socially unaware and And
3: self-absorbed
2: yes and and not just not a likable character and that was Absolutely hilarious. And it, 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 by the second season, it had gotten to, it was uh, so off the, uh, off the rails it was so just absurd and but it was still very much a sitcom what
3: i love about it you know his father was played by his actual father yeah and in most tv shows like that when the father is the foil the father is usually kind of a jerk and you know he's you know wrong or pig-headed like archie bunker or something mm-hmm. like that and it's the exact opposite <laughs> in this show like the, the father has a very reasonable explanation <laughs> <laughs> for yes. not liking what his kids doing you yes. and- <laughs>
2: <laughs> like when he tells Chris Elliott, he's being an idiot. It's like, everybody's like, yes. <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah. He's not just being abusive to his son. He's oh. being truthful. His son is being an idiot. He's trying to, he's <laughs> trying to help
2: this poor guy out. So, uh, <laughs> The other one, and and it was, I, th- I think it was the the most uh, significant thing of it is that Yardley, I think it was Yardley Smith, was one of the characters. Was uh, was Herman's head, which was it, like the whole concept was pretty bizarre. So like you had this, uh, it was it was the, the Pixar movie before the Pixar movie. Came. Yeah, the, the good very it was Inside Out live action. <laughs> <laughs> so you yeah, had William Ragsdale was like the the put upon like be protagonist and inside his head, they would cut to uh, Yardley Smith. Uh, I think Hank Azaria was in it as well.
3: Uh, Yardley uh, Smith wasn't part of inside of his head. I think she was like,
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Maybe, or maybe she was like love interest or something. Yeah, uh, I, It's um yeah, it was, it was inside out 30 years before inside out but live action in a sitcom. And it I, I thought it was pretty it was it was interesting.
3: I remember the episode where Leslie Nielsen appeared <laughs> and he was god and they were like why would we why why are you Leslie Nielsen well this is you know what you think of god when you <laughs> you think of me. It says why would we do that? It says well you know before I did Airplane and everything I was actually a, a very well respected dramatic
2: actor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's amazing. (laughs) But yeah, so like, like those, those are like super high concept TV shows that today we take for granted. Like, you could you could make a show like that today and no one would bad eye. People would probably say, Well, you need to you need to juice it up a little bit, <laughs> you know. In the early nineties, I can't imagine walking into a studio and saying, Okay, so there's this guy and we have the sitcom, and he's you know, he's after this girl, and then the office worker is really in love with him, just and they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. But we go inside his head and there's four other people that represent his emotions and they fight, What? <laughs> that's that's kind of bizarre. How are we going to do this? Oh, it's all live action. It's amazing. They're just going to be on the other side of the set. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's that's high concept stuff, you know. And and it's Gary Shandling's show. I'm Gary Shandling, and I'm doing a show.
0: Okay, no, that's the show. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we were going to show them how
3: the sausage is made. Right.
0: <laughs> almost a show about nothing. Almost. Yeah, almost. <laughs> yeah. Almost. But
3: uh, I mean, it's. <sighs> There is so much that came out of those early years. As much as I hate the the overwhelming amount of reality television, like Cops was one of those earlier ones that did it right, though. Yeah, it it, it it was it, it was kind of a, a cultural phenomenon too. On that, certainly, because uh, everybody could sing you that opening
2: <laughs> credits music. And and Cops was like you know, as we talked about in our documentary episode, Cops was very cinema verite. Like it yeah. was just it was just a dude with a camera turning it on and letting things happen. There was no there was no kind of like framing devices. There was no backstories. There's no because inter- there was no one interviews. around to write them. Right. It was it was completely unscripted, and it was it was as close. It was just a guy with a camera and watching people get arrested. That's
0: what it means. Writers gold strike. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> What amazed me though
3: was like the cameraman lugging like a hundred plus pounds of equipment. Like some of those
2: dudes were keeping up with the cops.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's a,
2: that's a testament to the cameraman's uh, <laughs> fitness or you know cops ate too many donuts. So they were like, they were four <laughs> dose. They were, they were struggling. Cameraman is just jogging along. And of. And, of course, it is also the fuel
3: that created one of Josh Amon's favorite Mr. Show characters. <laughs> Ronnie
2: Dobbs, most of the <laughs> man in America. 100% based off cops because oh. they, the uh, David Cross and uh, uh, Bob, Bob O'Donnell love. They watch cops. Religiously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so that's uh, that was some of that stuff, though. Some of those more experimental things, I don't think they'd ever, ever do again. But yeah, Fox was very much on the forefront. Like they would have like world's wildest police videos yeah. and, um, but just, <laughs> what's funny is it, it things like that distilled the it if it if it bleeds it leads down yeah. to its essence like they just collected they collected the stuff that got eyes on sets from all these other all these yeah. fox affiliates like here's a car chase here's another car chase Well, yes. didn't
3: they also do like when animals Attack? <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> yes. another one of their popular series this is a, okay we're gonna do america's funniest home videos <laughs> but with wild animals it was the fa- <laughs> it was the
2: faces of death of America's funniest, yeah,
3: BS. yeah, <laughs> yep. Just need Bob Saget doing a funny voiceover.
2: Um, <laughs> Whoops! But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that bear found some honey.
3: <laughs> I think probably the show that is most surprising that they put on in prime time was in Living Color. Yes. Oh yeah, because that show it it really did push the Browns more than I would say even like married with children or anything else. Like they, especially when they'd had their halftime show. Cause I know like Damon Wayans and David Allen Greer were talking about cause they're doing the men on films character mm-hmm. and they were just, and they were doing it live <laughs> and they were like, we're pretty sure nobody's watching. <laughs> and it turns out everybody was watching.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's funny that that's one of those things. Though, um, and and I, and we were remiss in our when we were talking about sketch comedy not bringing you know, but we missed so many things. But well, we,
3: we were also concentrating on
2: sure SNL at the time. But well. and yeah, there are no in living color movies other than yeah. other than every Jim Carrey movie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but if you think about it, I mean, like, but in living color, if you think. About about it. They came at the King, and you can't really say they missed. No, 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 no.
3: And it, the thing was, uh, what really ended the show was the fact that Fox wanted to, to exert more control over it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Kenan Ivory Wayne's left and you know took his brother with him. Mm-hmm. You know, and you lost a lot of the edge of that show. It's it's yeah. a lot like what happened to Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night mm-hmm. Live had a lot of edge and everything to it. And then the the suits got more involved and it wasn't edgy, it was trying to be edgy. Yeah. And was not succeeding because they don't have that that willingness or ability <laughs>
2: to go where you need to go.
0: They don't have the context for it either. You can't transgress from inside.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. I, I'm old enough to remember when the Wayans brothers were funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And living color was just probably one of the more like, you know, in, in comparison to Saturday night live there, you know, there, there's pretty much only one cast of in living color, but it was like pound for pound can go up against some of the best Saturday night live people. I mean, just so much talent. Um, uh,
3: yeah. Uh, Tommy Davidson. Mm-hmm. Uh I remember one of the the big things he did when uh, Michael Jackson's uh, Black or White came out, and they did a parody of that. And you know that end bit in the video where Michael Jackson, you know, like smashes a car and everything with a sledgehammer. Mm-hmm. Tommy Davidson did that, but you know the the twist, the joke on it was, "Can you tell me if I'm black or white?" <laughs> and then he smashes the car, and then a couple of cops come up and say, "Okay, buddy, you <laughs> come with <laughs> us." And he goes, "Well, I guess I'm black." that's that's a joke saturday night live i don't think today saturday night live would no
0: absolutely
2: no
3: but it's been 30
2: years yeah subversive
3: the wayne's brother definitely were their own little cottage industry there in the yeah
2: let's uh let's let's talk about the 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 simpsons a little bit and then um kind of talk about the next 30
3: years of the simpsons
2: yeah, that's the the Simpsons, uh you know, it's all on Disney Plus now because Disney owns everything. So I was like, cool, they've got all the Simpsons. So I'll go back. I'll start at the beginning. I got to season 10 and then I stopped just like I did the first time. <laughs> so it wasn't a function of like age where like it, it it does. It it loses its way, um, and again, I think it's much like Saturday Night Live. It's become an institution, and all the things that made it great just aren't there anymore. It's almost like a no one wants to cancel it. It's like I don't understand how Fox has got to spend a ton of money on those voice actors because they remember decades ago they were threatening to quit. If they were going to get and then studios like we'll get sound soundalikes and there was, all, you know, there was like like all this tension and they're like the, probably to, still to this day, the highest paid voice actors Who, who's watching
3: uh, apparently enough people. Uh, I'm I'm guessing this is one of those shows that maybe like Sesame Street, like everyone has <laughs> their era. Like, you know, once once the original group ages out, here comes this another group coming in. Because I'm like you, it when the Simpsons first started, it was like married with children. It was something completely different mm-hmm. than what was on TV. But it still had a little bit of the heart to it because it was still yes. this guy who loved his family. Mm-hmm. But he was just way too easily triggered by his emotions <laughs> to do well, and, the wrong and, thing.
2: And but and like we talked about earlier, it's like the longer shows go on, the farther they're kind of unmoored yeah. from from their base, and the more they become characters Where you know, like flandersization is is kind of a meme term, but. Like the Simpsons themselves have really come that. Cause I mean, didn't wasn't it Conan that talked about they, they kept thinking of ways to make Homer stupider and stupider to like the point where he would like forget to breathe and stuff yes. so, like But it gets to a point, like where do you go from there? Yeah. And you just kind of limp along and it just doesn't look anything like
3: well, like I said there was uh I remember one of the early episodes where uh Homer you always have like the opening bit and then the story swaps over to something else. And the opening bit was that Homer had won a ride in the Duff blimp (laughs) at the next like football game. Uh, And then you get into the story where uh, Lisa's, not feeling confident about her looks and all that kind of stuff she thinks she's ugly and all that so homer enters her in to a beauty contest by selling his ticket to someone else so he mm-hmm. can pay the entry fee and you know lisa's like well i don't think i'm you know good looking enough she says well you're you're beautiful to me and it's like that that heart of homer simpson like that wasn't mm-hmm. the end of the episode thing that you always have where right. he learns the lesson like that's not Just even midway was. through right. the, yeah, the episode. And he says that and he does this thing for his daughter and it's, you don't get those episodes like that anymore. If you do, I, yeah. I haven't seen them.
2: Uh, and I but I think that's that's kind of the exemplary of of TV in general like um it's uh, there's and I and I think our generation is is kind of at fault is like the um you know I don't care <laughs> like everything everything sucks and we got to be you know rage against the machine then we then we got the positions where we could create content so we create all this content but where do you go from there it's like would you tear everything apart everything you know, is is kind of meta or or blasé D- that didn't leave a lot of room for Homer being a being a sweet dad, even though he's
0: he's kind of selfish and dumb. Well, iteration lets you claim to innovate while still keeping one foot in the familiar and comfortable. And I think you're going to see that across a lot of pop culture now, like, I mean, everything's an adaptation of an adaptation. Um, You're going to see things continue to iterate on the same thing, but to be honest, they wouldn't do it if it didn't sell and it wouldn't sell if we didn't also need that one foot in the familiar and one foot stepping out into the quasi unknown. Sure.
3: Yeah. And I think that's a whole other discussion on, (laughs) on how nostalgia has really kind of screwed over our current entertainment industry because people can't take that foot out of the past.
2: Sure. And, and and speaking of, of, you know, the current state of things. So it, or Fox now the end of the story is, Fox is legitimately a player. Is a is the fourth network has been institutionalized. Um, you know, is 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 one of the big guns. But in this world of streaming and um, decentralization of content, whether it be YouTube or subscription services, uh, is, is there still room for networks? Or and and what and what's what's the the new frontier look like? Where is where is the new emergence going to be of of the cutting edge, um, programming? I think. But, oh, sorry. Go, go ahead, ahead, Phil. No, you're
0: you're the guest. Sorry. Um, I feel like. What a lot of people want, what a lot of people have been spoiled by, um, on some scale or another, people still want, whether it's fiction or fantasy or like a quasi-reality show, we want some sort of shared universe. We want some sort of, um, well, continuous crossover, which I forgot to mention earlier is one of my favorite legacies of early to mid-Fox history is when they would have crossovers between their own shows. Mm Mm-hmm. Like when you had that special X-Files episode, Cops Crossover, (laughs) or you had the Treehouse of Horror that had Mulder and Scully in it. I think there is still a place for networks because you're still going to want to see that on TV. And so you're going to need some sort of persistent institution that has the clout and can cut the checks to keep all of those pieces on the chessboard, so to speak, to be able to continue to produce that sort of unified content, maybe not continuously, but to know that they could, and they might eventually, people are going to want at least the potential for that because we're used to everything being interconnected now. We're used to being able to see one of our favorite characters from this turn up all the way over here. And I think that's why it's going to be important, even in the face of streaming services, as blurry as that boundary is getting nowadays, having networks like that, that are willing to do that, again, provide that balance of the comforting and the um, daring, things like a crossover, things like a shared TV family. Mm -hmm. You really, you can't just fabricate that overnight. It takes really years and years and years of work in each respective show. It's analogous to, and of course, coming from me, this is not going to shock you in the slightest, but it's analogous to the MCU. And so like a TV network is a traditionally structured network is the best way to do that. You can set up a series of shows and have things like, pooled writers rooms or have happen to have this actor on contract over here that you can, that you've got a writer or provision. You can use them over here that sort of structure that sort of interaction is ideal for um institutions with the money and the access and let's face it the ip lawyers of major mm-hmm. networks
2: well, and i think that we're probably going to start seeing like uh, i think the the pandemic hurried in inevitability um like black widow i think is a is a good example of like what the future is going to look like as far as film releases i think simultaneous release is the cat's out the back we're not going back We're just not uh, But I think it looks good Because, you know The box office numbers Are probably never Going to be as strong As they were before But I still think That it'll be viable And, and I think that Maybe we'll start seeing some because networks have so many streaming shows and like, I know Peacock has some streaming only shows that don't mm-hmm. show on on the network. But that that crossover may occur that way that, mm-hmm. you know, we'll play something over broadcast first and then put it on streaming like, like that's already occurring, but kind of blend, uh, a blend where whereas Everybody before wanted there to be like this delineation between, you know, releasing video at home versus the theater because they didn't want to step on each other's toes. But now it's like it's like the world economy, you know, post-World War II, everybody's so intertwined. But you don't really want to go to war with anybody because this going to screw yeah. up your
0: your economy, too. And also, people felt like that back in a time when you could honestly claim that the cinema was a consistently solvent business model. And I don't think even before the pandemic, I don't know if you could have, have said that.
2: That's, that's a fair point. Uh, I, I hate to hear that point, but.
3: <laughs> yeah. uh, I will have to kind of disagree with you on there for the simple fact that uh like that yeah. that's 80s and 90s network television uh, right now. It's more the networks don't have that control over it. Uh, like they did when you know on NBC's must see Thursday. You know, uh, a character from Mad About You can show up
2: on Seinfeld. I knew you were going to say Mad About You, man. You're always <laughs> bringing up Mad About You. Yeah, always for the very first time tonight. Uh, <laughs> I'm talking about offline,
3: you know <laughs> but uh, that's that's not the case anymore because now you have it, it's more about the production studios. They have more control over the IP now than the actual networks. So I think you know, like I said, the the fact of being on networks not really going to be. important anymore because you're already seeing it on the streaming services with the mcu shows uh, first on netflix uh and now on disney plus and of course with the the new star wars shows Mm -hmm. you know you're you're having that shared universe aspect already and i think really it's going to be down to who's controlling it more. And the more everyone moves to their own service, the more likely that's going to happen. I think the networks are going to be there for the same reason they've always been there, because it's it's an open broadcast. You don't need cable. You don't need a satellite dish. Uh, They're going to get those people who can't get high-speed internet out in the sticks and everything. So until fiber internet makes it out into rural areas, uh, broadcast TV is always going to be around. It's just, it's not as important anymore as it used to be because more people are cutting cable, Mm -hmm. but they can still get broadcast TV.
2: that's that's an interesting point and i think that that's probably a discussion for another day all right well phil thank you so much for coming on really enjoyed talking with you
0: oh absolutely thank you for having me i really appreciate
2: it tell tell um the people that are listening that aren't the three of us where they can find you
0: (laughs) well um me personally if you're so inclined you can find me on instagram at um just some nerd named phil all one word um I don't really do a whole lot else right now, but that's where you can find some stuff pertaining to the podcast. The podcast Insta is just Nerds of Things podcast, all one word. And um, that's where you can find the podcast stuff, but also find me messing around with my 3D printers and doing ridiculous cosplay stuff. Um, And yeah. Um, You'll either find me there or I'm um, on Steam. Excellent.
2: So, Jason, you want to give everybody our contact information and, and walk us on out? All right. Yes.
3: If you want to email us, you can do it at brickedpit at gmail.com. Also, look for us on Facebook and Twitter, at the Bricked Pit Podcast. And always, you can go to our anchor.fm slash Bricked Pit, and you can leave us a voicemail,
2: and we'll play it like we did earlier today. All right. So until next time, keep looking to the skies for a new podcast, and we will see you on the next iteration of Bricked Pit. I